You're listening to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast with Graham McMillan Mason. Episode 9, Matthew Davies Pryor. Technical issues. Uh, the worst. Um, welcome back to episode 9 of And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast. Um, as you've probably guessed, if you follow the page on Facebook or Twitter or any social media site, I've been having a few issues with this podcast. Um, not in terms of the conversation. The conversation with Matt was actually very, very fun. But the file itself has been causing me some real issues. But you know what? We saved it. It's fine. It's in the bag. It's not perfect, but it's there. We can hear the conversation. It's a really good backstory. Matt's amazing. Matt's a great guy. Very interesting bloke. Um, and it's there. It's fixed it. We've, we've did it. We got there in the end with a, a little bit of help and rescuing and a bit of a life support machine for my podcast from a, a friend called Sean. Um, we are there in the end. So yeah, thanks for coming back. Um, if it's your first time, thanks for tuning in. I hope this doesn't put you off, um, which it may very well do. But no, no, trust me, it's, it gets better. It definitely gets better. Um, I hope everyone's been enjoying the things that have been keeping you taking over. I did the 10 questions with Ace Enders of the early November. Um, very, very short podcast. One of those ones I did face-to-face. Loved hanging out with Ace. Um, that was actually a face-to-face one, like I say. And guy absolutely evaporates um, any negativity in the room. He's such a positive guy. I wish I could have spent a little bit more time with him. And uh, the show in the night was perfect. I remember going home. He was a really happy guy. Um, hearing some songs that I loved from my childhood. And also some of the, the newer catalogue, which I think some of the early November's best stuff. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed that as well. Um, I really, really do, because it's it's you that I do it for, essentially. Um, and also a little bit for myself, but mainly for you, you know. Um, the last podcast was with Owen. Uh, Owen Seth, obviously, Sunland writer, local to my hometown, doing well for himself, selling books on Amazon, writing novels. Um, it's all right for some of us. I can't keep my attention span that long, but I managed to keep my attention span long enough to have a chat with him, and um, we've since become good friends and everyone seemed to really dig that podcast um i've never really said dig before in terms of in in term of enjoyment um but there we go i said it so it must have been a good podcast if i've said that um everyone seems to have read his books a little bit more um he seems to have a bit more or a few more fans from that podcast which is absolutely wicked because i'm a full advocate of supporting local talent here in glasgow or some home city or or your home city or whatever it may be back your local artists because they need it because if you don't they'll disappear and you'll just be left with Metallica charging you 95 pound tickets not that I have anything against Metallica but we need some new shit um yeah I don't want to ramble too much um but there's been a few things that have happened since the last podcast hasn't there there's been the general election um sadly didn't go the way of Corbyn at least not on paper but there's a I'm a big I'm a big Jeremy Corbyn fan and you know if you're not um that's that's kind of fine um but most of the people I know that would listen to this music fans are probably fans of um 
his way of going about things and his idea for the United Kingdom. So it'd be nice if we had a little bit of clarity by the time the next podcast comes out on exactly what's going on. And hopefully it's not the current Prime Minister um, delving in with a bunch of absolute mentalists, effectively. Um, but yeah, I don't want to politicise this podcast too much, only a little bit. Um, moving on to the podcast, choosing a song, as I always do, before the actual interview is normally quite an easy one for me. This one was bloody hard to choose one because Feeling for a Friend's back catalogue is full of absolute bangers. Um, you could literally choose anything. I think I was always going to choose an early an early song though because Feeling for a Friend have been part of my life since I was about 15 and you know a lot of people listen to this podcast, a lot of my friends exactly the same. So I toyed with playing something from their EP. Um, I toyed with 1045 Amsterdam Conversation, sorry, for a long time, which was the first song they wrote, the first song that I heard by them. But I think I'm going to go with this year's Most Open Heartbreak, um, which is from their second EP that they released um, early on in their career. But it was the first song that I heard that generally blew my mind. Um, And I'm talking like actually still does blow my mind. It definitely shaped how I wanted to write music, how I wanted to listen to music, and it's still a song I listen to to this day and still feels like the first time I ever heard it. So I thought, fuck it, what's better than choosing that one? Um, Afterwards, we'll go straight into the interview, just standard practice. Um, So here it is, this year's Most Open Heartbreak by Funeral for a Friend. Yeah. What the fuck? 
Uh, hi. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> you caught me yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> that works at the best intro we could have. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm good. Awesome. Just moved to Germany. How is it treating you so far? Um, Germany has always been very kind to me. Um, I've had a strong fondness for many, many years. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just it feels nice to be back here, um, settling in, you know, how, trying how to get, get a normal life going. How are the cats settling in? <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. Um, some of them are doing better than others. Um, we've gradually, we've gradually hit just over so yeah. we can um, begin to um, supervise certain um, garden explorations to get them acquainted. But, um, whereas, but they're, in all fairness, they're doing incredibly well. Are any of them speaking fluent German yet? Oh, they all speak fluent German. Oh, I knew that. To be honest, you know, they really, really, really put in the screws on me, really, to, uh, to, to keep. Keep yeah, up. man, they're embarrassing you already. Damn right. <laughs> um, for those who don't know you, um, which I imagine is, give me a little introduction of yourself in as many or as little words as you like. Um, well, my name is uh, Matthew Lee uh, Davies Craig. Up by pronunciation, if people were. <laughs> um, it's not Cray, it's Craig. Um, uh, and I used to sing for a band called Funeral for a Friend uh, for fifteen years. And I am also the main honcho in a project called The Sea I did a few years ago. And um, I'm vegan. I am closer to 40 than I am to 30. <laughs> and I basically am a big nerd and I'm a big animal fan. So um, I'm big into animal rights. So that's... You know, I, thought, I think that's the best introduction we've had thus far. No offence to my previous guests, some of whom are friends, but that was a pretty good introduction, man. <laughs> that was pretty good. Wow, thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, normally you get this, and I sing or I play guitar in this, and that's it. You give me the insight. I like that, and I wanted the insight, too. Mm. It's good to have Why that. not? You know, I like, I like embellish, I yeah. guess. No, I like you too. Trust me, it's a good thing. Um, well, I'm vegan, so we're going to get on well, but I knew that. I knew that anyway. I knew that. Um, so people who have listened to the podcast, I hope by this point, and if they're not getting the point by this point, they really need to listen more carefully to the beginning. Um, they know the format. I like to get an idea of you create the music, the art and everything that you create in between, um, from every aspect, from a social aspect, from a bands that influence you aspect. So the best question for me to always start with and see where it takes us. What was the, what was your early day falling in love with music? Um, Wow, my earliest memory. Uh, wow, <laughs> way way back. Uh, I th- it's probably something to do with my. Da- I mean, what I can remember more vividly than anything else is um, playing a a seven inch single when I was very very young. Uh, Father Abraham and the Smurfs. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, which my my dad still has this seven inch somewhere. Um, and, and just, you know, it's one of those kids' things that you kind of, kind of, it's an exploration, really. It's your first kind of sense of, of something tuneful, other than your parents singing to you when you were very, very young. Yeah. Um, and it was just very quirky and unique, all these different voices, all these different melodies. I kind of re- remember that to a degree. Um, but I think one of my vi- most vivid memories is probably... When I was younger, I used to watch Top of the Pops with my dad and my brother yeah. 
on a on I think it was a Friday night it used to be on. Yeah, it was Friday. Well, it was Friday when I was young and like when more yeah. Like, did you think? Yeah, and um and then we you know we'd we'd watch the program and then the following day my dad would take me and my brother down to Woolworths and Woolworths. Yeah, oh, some of my right. earliest musical <laughs> were thanks to Woolworths. Um, and we we my dad would go and pick up um, some of the singles that he listened to from watching the program the night before, and whether it was a seven inch single or cassette single, um, and me, me and my brother used to kind of devour that really everything from I'm trying to think what was the George Harrison, uh, Chris Rea, um, one of my one of my favorite things my dad. Because my dad used to work away a lot, and um, when he'd come back and um, on the weekends, and we'd go off, and um, one of the tapes that he had most frequently when I was growing up, that always sticks in my head, is Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. It's <laughs> a pretty, pretty good, pretty good introduction, to be fair. Mine would be really bad, but, you know, I'm going to tell you what it is, but moving on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you kind of go to those things, and you know, it's not, you know, it could be like the introduction, but it's what I can really recall. Yeah. Is these little snapshots of of listening to certain things that my dad was in to play bass in, um, in a local band, um, doing covers, and and eventually he started kind of branching out, trying to do his own stuff, and he do his these home demos with uh, guys in 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 the band that was in, and they're often kind of go upstairs when he'd locked himself away in the box room that we grew up in and um, he'd be there with his little four track tape recorder with a synth you know a synthesizer his bass guitar and a, and a guitar and just the 80s sounding oh, pop rock you've got to love a bit of real 80s. cheesy real cheesy stuff and I used to kind of I used to love that I mean I used to find it I find it fascinating yeah like I, fascinating, I, fascinating I still love 80s 80s is like it's coming back as well man like um, I, like I was saying before the actual podcast, I'm in Berlin from tomorrow, Cold Cave. Oh, fair play. And uh, there's a band called Drab Majesty supporting. I don't know if you heard them. I've heard the band, I've not heard the music. Oh, so 80s. But it's like it's like Pesh Mode of the Modern Era. Brilliant. Like, I mean, I'm like Depeche Mode. I mean, that kind of stuff anyway has always been, you know, it's always been a kind of dressing around the kind of music that I really like. I mean, I've always synthy based stuff, I guess, because of what. The, you know, when I was growing up, the music that my dad was kind of discovering was thought was pretty cool. Had that kind of little influence. My dad wasn't a huge like a Rage fan, but there was a couple of singles that he he kind of picked up that you know I really liked um, growing up. And um, <clears throat> kind of collection that he had um, on a weekend or, or after coming home from school, listening to a lot of sixties and stuff like Paul Kossoff, the guitarist from Free, is, is solo stuff. Just like random things, I didn't have a clue who these people were until much later on in my life. But um, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon on cassette, I would play that because I used to like listening to the song Money and um, intro and all these kind of things. And yeah, lucky enough, my dad had this collection of of music, and he had such a kind of wide range in taste that it just, you know, music was always was always there. Always I mean. Around. Yeah, we'd always sing on. We when we used to go to Tembe on holidays, we used to me and my brother and him used to pick pick apart the harmonies to Beach Boy songs and Beatles songs and Kinks songs and Monkeys songs and stuff. And we would all have our parts. The Eagles was a big 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 band that me and my brother both loved. My love, um, 
So we just kind of, you know, do that when we were growing up. We were almost like a little de facto band. <laughs> the early days of Funeral for a Friend. <laughs> and then, I mean, I remember, because I, I mean, I listened to Funeral from like, oh man, I was, like I was a kid. Like I actually was a kid. And I remember going to see you in Middlesbrough, I think. And one line one was supporting. And ah. I remember you speaking, and I remember you speaking about Jonah and how that, how far had an impact on you. And I kind of, at that point, I went back and was like, right, listen, I heard uh, Barry White. Yeah. And then obviously from that sort of stuff, you defect into, I, I kind of went into like Rite of Spring, um, Sunny Day Real Estate, uh, Fugazi, that kind of stuff came through to me because I found far. But like the bits you just mentioned growing up, obviously boy stuff like that, massively influenced. At what point did it change for you into more heavier stuff like far for example um well i think i mean as much as people credit the in you know the influx of satellite tv mm-hmm. uh, um for me it was it was a game changer i mean when my parents decided to to put both feet in and get you know sky um going up i mean literally we passed my pass because we wanted it so badly <laughs> yeah. uh because some of my friends had sky and stuff and things and um so we, they caved and we, we, we had a sky set up. And then you, you kind of click the channels and you come across MTV, which, you know, you know from watching movies growing up, a lot of John Hughes stuff. I mean, specifically one scene that always sticks in my mind is that scene in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off when they kind of like an MTV on TV. Stuff. And it's just, I found that incredible. And, and just to have a slice of that Americana in a South Wales Valley... <laughs> Yeah, no, was, I get that. Was, was really was really interesting. I mean, because you're a lot of US programming still on MTV, MTV, but obviously did. And um, so you're getting a lot of stuff from the mainland. You're getting a lot of festival coverage, like Rock and Ring and Rock and Park and things. And yeah. I think the band that reached my life um, was Bad Religion uh, because okay. I yeah. they were playing a set, and I was home from school sick and I was watching were you actually sick some reruns I probably was I mean I, <laughs> I, used, I used to try but I was very you know very aware of the uh, the, the faking that me and my brother used to try to pull yeah. um, they just know don't they it's, it's, it's just uh, yeah. yeah and, um, and they, yeah they were they, Bad Religion were there playing um, uh, I think it must be in 94 and um, they were playing and it was just mesmerizing. I was totally transfixed. The harmonies, this is the thing. So you grown up into stuff like Beach Base and everything like that. With all these, you kind of listen to Bad Religion, you know, Southern Californian kind of punk. They're taking punk rock, which was more, way more melodic than the East oh, Coast yeah. stuff. Came to really appreciate later on. Um, and um, I just, the harmonies really drew me in and it was so fast. I, th- I think the speed really didn't, I didn't, wasn't too bothered much by the speed at first. Mm-hmm. But um, just the vocal melodies, and it really drew me in. And then it was just like, I went, as soon as I could, I think it was, we were at some point not long after, and me and my brother went to Cardiff on the train, and I bought um, Bad Religion uh, cassette tape from HMV. And that was the start. That was the beginning of the end, really. <laughs> uh, no, and it was, it, was, it was cool because... Um, 
I mean, at that point as well, I was getting into, a lot of my friends at school were into grunge and things like that. And I really liked that kind of stuff. I didn't yeah. dislike it at all. I mean, New Metal, I, I was also pretty big at that time. And um, I wasn't totally convinced by that kind of stuff as much as mine were. But um, I really liked Soundgarden and I really liked um, Pearl Jam. Um, it took me a while to get, everybody was like into Nirvana and it took me a while to get into Nirvana. Um, I didn't get into them until much, much later. Um, but I, I liked, you know, all that kind of got me into a more of a heavier sense of, of music yeah. that, that then into, you know, into more punk and more hardcore and straight edge kind of stuff much later on. Like, I remember The Offspring, Smash was another album at the time that, you know, self-esteem was always, always on MTV. And and I used to me and my brother used to be like, this is the best coolest thing ever. My parents did it. And, um, <laughs> Sometimes, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and it's and it's a thing. And then you start picking up my friends. You know, you know, you'd want to cut. And I'd learned how to play guitar to a lot of eagle stuff. Uh, I self-taught myself out of an eagle's bloody songbook all these chords. And um, I then. Obviously, when you start listening to punk rock, you just kind of you, you want to learn more songs. So I started kind of yeah. dissecting these raps, trying to pick apart, and um, like you know, it's just it's that thing you do, really. You just yeah, you explore, you explore it that way. So I mean, the, the era of Far and stuff like that. I mean, I'm trying to think when Far was really a band because remember... they, they were around from that period. They had a couple yeah. of albums out mid nineties. 94, 90, and it wasn't until uh, Tin Cans, which was about, I think it was about 97, 98, that that came out. Refused, wasn't it? Refused, kind of, like... Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Refused were a band. I mean, at, at that point, I was getting into a lot of post-hardcore stuff. I mean, I got into, like, bands like Gorilla Biscuits in my mid-teens. Yeah. and discovered bands like Youth of Today and things like that. And that was a game changer. really fell in love. Um, having a massive sense of melody, I always really f- was drawn to that. And um, like bands like Quicksand uh, were a major, major turning point uh, for me. I mean, where I want to be in a band like, you know, there was like Quicksand, my friends want to be in a band like Limpet. So <laughs> it was always a kind of challenge to kind of... You got the last laugh, right? You were the cool kid in the end. Well, you know, at that point, <laughs> nobody knew what was cool or what wasn't. It's what you, what true, you didn't. Like. I mean, true, man. you didn't, you know, scene didn't exist for me at that point, really. I mean, no, no, it was just, it was just the music that you could get your hands on. And when I used to go to shows, started going to shows and end and things and um, meeting people there, that's when that notion um, prevalent in my I guess my consciousness and I was becoming more aware of what the hardcore scene was and um but you know things like far things like far I really got to give credit to because if if it wasn't for um I think there was a mention of them in Kerrang once because I used to I used to scour Kerrang for anything related to any post hardcore bands quicksand related if any if any review mentioned or helmet or anything like that then I would um freak out and I would try to track it down I mean one of my favourite records of all time is an album by a band called Handsome um, which is basically members of Helmet and Quicksand and they did one record and that was it 
um, and that came out in 1997, and it blew me, my friends, me and my close friends. I was kind of, you know, new sense. Um, we we adored that record. I mean, Fars, uh, what have you got? You got Tin Cans Street. Tin Cans was was a huge album for me. Water and Solutions between Water and Solutions, Aftertaste by Helmet, and Handsome's self-titled album, and uh, Slip by Quicksand. I point my seventy-seven. I was eight. 18 at that point 1997 I was 18 years of age um, I would have been born in 1979 so I would have yeah, definitely yeah, been. yeah that's right I'm pleased you're good at maths because you've just tested mine there live on air technically um. <laughs> I was in college I was in uni and um, I was and, and those albums you know those bands were always like cornerstones of things that I've really loved and and then I got into a lot of youth and, and stuff. And then that's when I started going to shows and became aware of the South Wales, I guess, well, the hardcore scene, or at least my local scene in South Wales and and stuff. And um, and that's where it kind of changed me because then I started kind of doing stuff. I started a fanzine of my own. I mean, I went to some of my first hardcore shows that I went to, there were people selling zines, and I would I was fascinated by culture. Um, yeah. There was one called, it was... Um, a friend of mine called Tim Kendall um, published a zine called Mass Movement, and he kind of took me under his wing, um, which was an awesome learning experience for me. Um, and there was another zine which was in the year, um, which was more—I mean, it was more like maximum rock and roll than um, than a, like a little staple zine like mine was. Uh, I used to love reading all these interviews and reviews and stuff in there, picking up. I used to, and that's how I kind of discovered all these things, like, you know, all the J-Tree bands and all these different levels of things. And, you know, there were tape trades going on. There was distros and stuff. And you'd, you know, as well as being able to order all these records from Amazon States, um, be able to... That's why you picked up, like, the social aspect of stuff. Because, obviously, you're a really socially aware person, like, just reading between the lines. Um obviously I think you know growing up when I was young like sort of the hardcore scene I was exposed to definitely opened me up from a social perspective do you find that opened you that's what kind of got you open to like more yeah. like social injustice or, or justice if I, you prefer that sort yeah, of yeah I'm, I'm definitely I think having that kind of information there to read uh, totally fed into uh, into me at that age I mean I got into and I and that's where being nineties, a teenager in the nineties, listening, discovering these emo hardcore bands and stuff and, and and whatnot. A lot of the scene at that point was very based around um, a lot more of a politicised uh, social political awareness. Um, you know, it was a very strong stance towards feminism, veganism, vegetarianism. Um, obviously, the straight edge thing was prevalent through the eighties anyway, but it was. Yeah, <clears throat> But it was also, you know, political correctness as well. Um, it was about how to address, um, how to kind of disregard the kind of the attitudes of the generation that came before and apply a new set of rules and a new way of being to the generation that you were a part of now. Uh, yeah. and, and it's worked to an extent. I think the, the generation we're part of now is a lot more socially aware, 10 times more socially aware. I think that did set a really good... Uh, a really good stepping stone for that kind of like, landscape. It just seems mental, the, the political landscape we're living in at the moment, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, things, you know, 
I mean, without going too deep into that, I mean, there are a lot of uh, fingers of, of blame that can be pointed to certain places, and I, I just, I just fully, you know, if you're not, if you're not given the facts, if you're given nothing but lies as a truth, then, yeah. then you're going to make decisions because you're, yeah. you're not, you're not basing what you what you decide upon on things that are that are real that actually are the truth and i think that's what we've noticed the last couple of years where politics personal politics can influence social politics in a way that it can it can make people and greed can make people want to pull the wool over you know communities eyes and lead them to want to vote in a particular or or think in a particular way um that's really sad it's very it's very and um and, and it's definitely not the society that i i want to be a part of Mine, no i mean that's the thing i think uh if people can fall back on nationalism as a crutch to dictate how they act then that's a huge problem i mean i've never been a strong nationalist i i when people ask me about Wales and what we're, you know, are you proud to be Welsh and, you know, being a Welsh fan and this, that and the other. And I, I can't stand behind anything like that. I mean... Yeah, I, I, I don't, I've never understood nationalism. I, to me, it's the famous George Orwell, isn't it? It's an accident. So yeah, I mean, it's... Well, it's you're born where you're born. It's not... Yeah, I mean, you can't be pr- I mean, I'm not, I mean, oh, I mean, this probably... Some people are, I mean, there's national pride, I guess. But, I mean, I've never felt... That I just like. I mean, I felt very, you know, privileged to grow up in a place where I haven't had to really want for anything. That my circumstances personally haven't, you know, my struggles far less than what people in other countries that, you know, that that don't get the opportunities that what we have. And I can't. And I have to take some time sometimes to reflect on that. You know, if I get pissed off and angry. I said, feel a bit, you know, like world me like shit. Tend to think, you know, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, my problems are minuscule compared to people fleeing war torn and you know poverty and famine. I mean, it's just you've got to put things into perspective, man. And I wish people yeah. did that. I wish more people would do that. Yeah, I think sometimes, and again, I'm I'm guilty of it myself. Like there's times when I'm like. Oh, I hate my job today. My job's been so bad, but I have in- a job. I have to have a job. I have the ability to go see bands every night. Some people will never be open to that world because it's about looking after their family or say want what one country seen bands and, and art and stuff like that. These people don't have the privilege to even try and create because they're too busy trying to survive. Like yeah, I mean, I mean, no, no but you know, none of. <sighs> None of us have got any claim or right to this. You know, we're just going to be thankful and, and you know, feel really, really for what we've got. I mean, we you know ownership or something, or to feel a privilege or a right for something which, deep down, is it's stupid. You know, this to live in the UK or to do these things or to because you 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 were born here. I mean, they're all fleeting, man. I mean. And that's narrow-mindedness, I think, to think of yourself as being purely stationary in one place. I mean, I've always felt... I, I think touring helped in this regard as well. I've always felt more of a citizen of the world or, or a European yeah. than uh, than just a Welsh, Welsh man, yeah. really, or a Briton, you know? Of course. 
Oh. And then, kind of, I suppose I I always like to divulge down the social aspect of stuff if I'm honest with you, um, but I've totally divulged. Um, so I'm going to rewind it back and talking about the scene you were part of, how you yeah. came, obviously, Bad Religion, you've gone, we've gone and looked at Far. How'd that evolve into you for a friend? Um, well, kind of, it's just through the act of going to shows. I mean, doing my zine. And stuff. I used to do distros as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a very close friend, uh, who was a friend of my brother's, first of all, but kind of gravitated towards me because of my music collection and what I was listening to. Um, he joined a band that he was really super stoked on called January Thirst. And he came up to my house with a track, super excited, and he played it to me, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I remember I remember in my head I just didn't get it. I thought it was techie stuff, really techy. Went so many different places. It was just like a mind fuck of a song. It was like yeah. it was like listening to a real mini plan or uh, or or a shit slayer as I used to I mean I still I still still bug Chris. Well, uh, um and I was just like, but obviously, I mean I was super stoked for my friend Matt and um he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're on a, on a Blackfish record and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, that's really fucking... And, um, and I, I was there just kind of going to shows and um, meeting people. And one day, Matt comes to me and says, um, I, I was second singer, because January 1st, I had two vocalists. Let's mm-hmm. um, quit the band. And, asked, and then he said, do, do you want to try for the band? And I was like, I can't really think that, if you look back on it now, I can't really think of any reason why I would have said yes, given, given the track that I heard. Um, and, I mean, at that, at that point, I'd started a record store. I was taking distros to shows. I was doing my zine. Um, and, and then I said, yeah. And I need to, at a rehearsal in the hall, um, where Chris is from, and Johnny Phillips, the original drummer for Funeral, um, I knew him because he was a lot on shows, and I used to kind of go when I used to kind of go and interview bands and stuff. I used to, you know, he'd, you know, he'd be the guy putting on most of the shows, to be honest. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I mean, it was just they were asking if I could. Anything? I, no, I, I think the reason why I was confused because I don't do it is because um, some friends of ours in a band called From This Moment On um, played a show in Cardiff, which I and they played um, a song by a band called In the Clear, a northern hardcore band from around Leeds Way, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's called. I think they're called In Clear. I'll have to refresh my memory. Um, and they covered a song by them at this show, and I just got up and grabbed the microphone and joined in. And I think Johnny and Matt Evans had seen me there. Were there? Well, Matt was there with me, but Johnny was there. And I think that's what led to them asking me to that's jump on in. Really, that's yeah, it was. It was literally less than like three seconds, and. Um, and I, obviously, listening to what we were doing, I, I wasn't really a massive fan anyway. But I thought, what the what the fuck? 
I thought, what the hell? You know, I, got, I you know, I'm work. It's been a while since I'd been in a band since my, you know, I think sixteen, sixteen when I stopped doing a band, sixteen or seventeen. So I was in twenties. Tw- I was like twenty, twenty-one, and um, yeah. So I went along and I had some lyrics, and I, 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 I could only do what felt naturally to me, which was. I mean, I just started singing, really. Um, not that I had any inkling that I was any good at it, yeah. um, and neither did any of the guys. I, mean, I think, I, I mean, Matt for a number of years at that point, and he'd always heard me ad-libbing stuff to stuff in the car anyway, just singing along to things and putting my own interpretations of melodic vocals over Darkest Hour tracks. <laughs> and... Um, and then he and I, I, I just we just in that moment we kind of. So uh, at, but, that, at that point, you wouldn't feel for a friend who called something different. Jan, we were January first still, um, and yeah, and we played. We wrote. Chris had a song. He played it. He had some lyrics. He gave them to me and Matt, and we basically just riffed off it. And that's within that day. That two-hour practice period, we had ten forty-five Amsterdam conversations written. No way. Yeah, I mean that was my first ever rehearsal. Still one uh, of the best as well. That was the first time I ever heard. First ever meeting with a band. First, I mean, I know, I know, known him, but I'd seen him at shows. He'd done some stuff. He'd worked for Johnny um, as well. So it was kind of like mutual noticing people at shows and yeah. saying hi to them. But there was never any, apart from Matt Evans at that point, there was never any. Um, kind of long-standing friendship there, or you know, high school. You know, we went to school together, and we grew up, and we were kids, and we we all listened to the same stuff because it just, you know, it wasn't the case. I mean, there were certain bands that we all. Loved. I mean, we came together because at that point the UK hardcore scene was really interesting, and there was bands like Stamping Ground and Underrule uh, and thing, uh, you know, and a lot of more dredgy stuff like Charger and things like that coming through under Groove and um, so yeah the UK hardcore scene was didn't I mean or the scene that we were kind of growing in from that point didn't really exist what pe- to, what I, to what I could I could kind of see what period was this like what like what year are we talking this was like 2001 got pretty big straight after that then right because I I yeah, I mean, I, mate, it was it, it was very very quick, uh, scarily so. Um, that was nuts. If that was two thousand one, uh, like, jeez, like, I, I must have heard you. Two thousand one, two thousand two. It was. It was December. It was December two thousand. That. Um. I'm trying to think. Yeah. December 2001, no, December 2001 is when I, in inverted commas, uh, auditioned for, for January 1st. Um, and January 2002, I think this is the right, I think this is correct time. I, have to, I haven't really thought about this for a while. So, uh, January, January 2002, we recorded... Um, was it between yeah. model? Yeah, January 2002, for three days, we went in and recorded, or two days, we recorded the model um, in Swansea, while I was in the middle of starting up my record store mm-hmm. in my hometown. Um, and then 
it didn't come out till much later. And we ended up doing a bunch of shows. It didn't come out until like late spring, early summer. There was like three releases though, because I've still got the first one kicking about the second one somewhere. Um... They just—it's been repressed. I mean, it's repressed three times, I think. Yeah. So um, I mean, signed. We did the demo because it was basically between order model as everybody knows was the demo that we made that ends as the first EP because the studio where we recorded it also had a record label and when they were recording us they realized I guess how good the songs were yeah and they did to release them because the fee was 10.45 Red is the New Black. Red is the New Black, Art of American Football, and... Uh, this is going to kill me. Juno. Oh, yeah, cool. How do we forget that? I know, innit? Jeez. Oh, God. How do we forget that? I haven't thought about this in, so, in, in a while. <laughs> I, I, uh, I have. That's the worst part about it. I have. Like, and, I, I mean, I didn't need to do much research, but I have thought about it, and I missed out Juno. I feel terrible about that. It's yeah. Okay. It's okay. We'll move that's on. A... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, really, I'm like me jumping in and auditioning to all of a sudden, um, you know, having a, a, a label, putting out your first EP, which totally spun us out. And and then within a few months, we ended up having internal issues, which ended up causing Matt Evans to leave the band. And then Johnny Phillips got a job working for JM. Uh, in Manchester and as much as he tried to convince us that it wasn't going to affect our ability to practice it kind of was because at this point I mean we, at this point I mean we had, a, we had a label we didn't take it seriously seriously I mean we hadn't played any shows really nothing at all we hadn't even played a show before we had this offer um, and then we um, we ended up we had a couple of shows with just me doing vocals um, by myself, trying to flip between the dual aspect of what I was doing and what Matt, Matt was doing, mm-hmm. which was a disaster. Um, and then we ended up, Johnny ended up leaving the band, and then we ended up having a session for BBC Radio Wales, which we needed a drummer to, to step in. So, yes, he was. And Darren... Um, Darren Smith would be in a band with Ryan. <clears throat> so we just basically asked him as a favour, stepping in for this session so we can record this session because we didn't, you know, we didn't want to cancel it because, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty yeah, cool to have. And, um, and then it, it was such a good fit that we just kind of asked him if, he, if he'd like to, to stay. And he did. I mean, we played loads of shows, though. I mean, those guys would come to our shows and, you know, Ryan knew the words to She Draw Me to Daytime Television and stuff and would be singing along to those as well. I mean, those sessions were some of the first times we'd, we'd She Draw Me to Daytime, we'd, we'd, you know, well, She Draw Me was written before Ryan joined the band. Oh, okay. And um, so it was one of the last songs we did with Sammy, the original, original lineup. Um because we had a different bass player on the EP. Gareth was our sound engineer, who was terrible. Uh, <laughs> our bass player ended up going on holiday. 
um, we had some shows booked, but we didn't want to cancel them, so he just stepped in and stayed. And um, and then yeah, then so give it a year though. I remember waking up early at Leeds Fest because you were like the first on at what was then called the Concrete Jungle. Yeah, that was two thousand and three. That was yeah. <laughs> that was two. That was August two thousand and three. Yeah, and we had finished. But three weeks or four weeks before that, we had finished casually dressed, and we I'd been hospitalised because due to a serious exhaustion of trying to finish that album under the schedule because we ran over. Um, due to our producer not having great timekeeping skills. <laughs> and I developed um, a serious abscess in my throat during the course of a small tour that we did to promote the Juno single just before, towards the, I think it was the end of mid-July, I think it was. And um, so then I came off to, we had to cancel the last show, and I literally, I felt like so, so bad, and I was home for a week and I couldn't eat anything because my the throat was so bad um, I got rushed to hospital because I, I ended up having the whole fist and drawn out because it was a huge abscess that was taking up most of my throat <clears throat> so it was causing me to not be able to drink properly and um, so and then through being hospitalized with that I then discovered that I had glandular fever as well at the same time um, to being run down and having serious exhaustion and then um, with a month later I was well enough to play the two Reading and Leeds shows which which was ex- which were exhausting exhausting shows for me to play um, but they were insane because um, I mean I, I those shows were great I mean I got to hang out with my friends uh, in Boy Sets Fire yeah so so many good bands and um and you know voices fire were the first band we were with when we, when we started out so it was great to see those guys and um yeah it was that was my f- second actually technically that was my second festival experience because i think download <laughs> we played download that year yeah because I, I remember, cause to me, I mean, it was like, it went from a period of, like, because going to shows, then I was like, I want to say 16, 17, and I was kind of well rehearsed in shows by then, and I remember it went a bit mad, because I remember thinking, alright, I'm at Leeds Fest, Funeral Honor at 12, gotta go see that, that was on the Sunday, I think, in Leeds, um, I've got a weird memory for stuff like this, and then you did the tour, not after she drove me, came out, and then simultaneously talking about things getting massive and funeral becoming almost like monster size iron maiden happened yeah i mean we did i mean between doing you know 2003 was an insane year because in january 2003 we went into the studio to record four ways to scream your name and that came out in april i think 2003 yeah, it was about that. I think that was this year's most open heartbreak. Yeah, and and then I think at that point we bullshitted the record label because they asked us if we had enough we had enough songs to make a record, and we said yeah, <laughs> and we didn't. <laughs> Two EPs worth. <laughs> uh, yeah, technically that's why a lot of EP songs ended up on the yeah. first album. Um, and then we basically just kind of 
that summer, I mean, that kind of spring, that, you know, April, May period, um, we just kind of went into the studio to, to write. We did two weeks. And we just kind of, but we had, we threw at the wall and hoped that it stuck. I mean, any idea that we had. I mean, I had guitar parts that I was showing the guys that were like, oh, this could be a song. And uh, one the I think two two songs that we had that we had demoed were before we decided we were going to make the album. We did so at least that was demoed and done. So it was like about six songs that we had on top of the, some of the Eve that we'd had before we went down to London, uh, and then that turned into uh, what do we have? What do we have ready in the can? We had. Moments ever faded. We had Juno. waking up. June was already done. But it was June came out because we did we did we did the album in two sessions. Oh, okay, okay, I get you. We did six songs. We did six songs in about uh, March and April, <clears throat> and then June, July, we kind of did the rest. So we did the first half up in Lincolnshire, uh, up up in Lincoln somewhere. Um, Chapel Studios in Lincoln and then we did the second half of the album down in London and <clears throat> pardon me <laughs> and so yeah it was very it was it was very fragmented and um, so yeah we ended up kind of like having in the second the second session was where all these little ideas that we were rushing around trying to to make fit like Rookie of the Year was one that we scraped together um, bullet Theory came from a riff that I played. Um, Isn't it Bullet Theory? Double A side, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that was that was really cool to see that grow. I mean, that was inspired weirdly. We just got we, we were just allowed to listen to uh, "You Came Before You" by Poison the Well. Yeah, oh, came before you, and because we were on the same um, well, not same record label at that point, but. Um, we had, you know, it was part of the same family of things and we kind of got a chance to have a listen to that record and it really inspired us and I think Bullet Theory was kind of a little bit influenced by that mood of that record. Um, My old band used uh, to cover that. Oh, I, well, Bullet Theory? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> like, so you get us write the song, Christ. Uh, I went through many <laughs> head banging, head bangs against walls attempts. Um, I think our crowd was banged against the wall thing when we played it, so uh, that, that, that soon got thrown out of the way because yeah, I, I can't sing, so it's all right. Yes, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, it went pretty quick. I mean, that year went really the timeline of that, of that year in particular went from working on the record, getting the record done, uh, touring a little bit, doing the festivals. Then yeah, because the album came out in October uh, two thousand and three. And then we did our own headline tour around that. Then we went straight back to do mainland European and UK supports for Iron Maiden for two months, which took us up until December, so November, November. It was so it was weird for me because I'm not even a Maiden fan. Um, Same. It was like I, I I remember being like at the front for it and being like, okay, I'm here, then I'm leaving straight afterwards. And everyone was like, oh, you've got a fan. Like I remember just being a weird kind of. There was a period because you got the booze at the start. Oh yeah, we got, we, 
Yeah, we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff. I mean, but it but turned it in, like mid set. I can remember it turning around quite well, and they've been like, "All right, fair enough." You know, they give them their due. They're carrying on. They're doing all right. Yeah, I mean, we learned. I mean, we as that was a very very hard tour for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, not being a fan, a member of the band. Um, but it just kind of we learned just to kind of ignore a lot of the crap and just kind of <clears throat> if they were chanting for majorly. <laughs> until, until they stop until they stop which was pretty soon so um and then we'd carry on so uh yeah i mean I'm, the thing is we were invited to play that i mean that that's the coolest thing i mean as much as i'm not a fan of maiden i mean it's they, they they invited us to play and you can't you know you can't say no to that really no not at all yeah it's like you just can't it's it's it's, it's... They're an iconic band, aren't they? I mean, I'm not so iconic. We'll still be around I mean, long after I'm gone, you know. They they stand for a lot of things that I mean, a lot of things in this in in the UK and, and metal in general that wouldn't really exist yeah. if it wasn't for them. So credit where credits due, you know. And then I mean, obviously, because it, it went nuts. I remember you headlined the Enemy tour with a uh, band. We were like, yeah, that was that was weird. <laughs> Yeah. That was so weird. And the rapture. That was so weird, yeah. The rapture. The rapture. Uh, the... Blondie's uh, like, I remember these days, like, it was, like, yes, it's weird. I mean, I can't remember things from last week, but that was, like, 18, 19, I was. I mean, it was weird because when I first got into Funeral, you were a band. You weren't huge. You were just a band. But it just went from being, like, it was nuts. And I think one thing I did want to ask is there's always nothing that. Did you ever uh, find that difficult going getting that big? I mean, there wasn't a great deal of negative yeah, if you got. Yeah, was... I mean, I mean, for me, yeah. I mean, I've per- personality-wise, I've always been a bit more of an introvert. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is kind of weird because this is, you know, my friends growing up realized what I was doing. So I never wanted to be the singer, the lead singer in a band. No, I wanted to be the guitarist in a band, but. Um, so, you know, me being on stage at the front of the stage with a microphone, speaking to people, they, everybody that I knew was scratching their heads going, what? <laughs> well, how, 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 you know, why would you choose that? That is so not anything that I would have associated you with doing. And, um, and I think it's kind of, it's weird because it's almost like you're, you're kind of creating a different idea of yourself. Yeah. Really. I mean, you kind. Of, I mean, I can't really explain it. It's weird. It's not like it's not me on stage. But those early, early days, for me to get used to the, I was very private. As soon as we'd finish playing, I'd be on the van in the bus, whatever, hiding away, reading books, listening to music, blah. That's what I would do to deflate, and uh, play video games. You know, I would never. I'm, I was never really in the social type, but. Um, but anybody that had any interest in what we were doing, like the music or anything like that, I'd be, always be more than happy to talk to. Uh, but I'd often find the amount of people getting involved at, at that point, it didn't really hit me until after hours came out. That was when everything went, in my head, went to a level where I, did, I, I started to, to struggle relating to um, the people that were coming to the shows. Yeah. Before, you know, we not like want to kind of bad, like I'm saying that as a negative. I don't want to say it as a negative. The people who'd come to the show, the people in of of my age, 
in the same who were involved in the same so, scene of music. Yeah, yeah, who came up, from, yeah, they yeah, who came up through the same thing. I mean, we're listening to the same bands, or were people in bands that we were friendly with as well. So then, all of a sudden, it was a wider audience, and that didn't quite understand. And I was confused. It confused the hell out of me. I couldn't, you know, when I used to go on tour, the one I used to love, as soon as we rolled up into, the, into whatever city we were playing our town, jump out of the van or the, or the bus and just head off and explore. Yeah. And that became more difficult as the band became more popular and it really made me uncomfortable because I used to like going off on my own. I used to really like going off on my own. Wherever country we were in at any time, it, it was easier in other countries because funeral were never really that, that level. Really? Not, I mean, not compared to what you were in the UK. No, so I could wander around San Francisco or New York or whatever town we were in or in Australia or, and be totally like oblivious. You know, I could, and I used to love that. And then you come to one time really sticks in my mind is when we were playing Nottingham Rock City. And I'd gone out with, our, with a friend of mine to go. They're not him, and I was coming back to the 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 bus. Mm-hmm. I bought a, I bought some comics. I bought some DVDs to watch. Yeah. And there's about kids. Were, kids were queuing up already at eleven o'clock, and they saw me across the street, and they literally all got up and ran towards me, oh, circled God. me, middle of the circle, being pushed and pulled. Like you know, people wanted to grab me, and I was I was totally freaked. Totally freaked, and if it wasn't for a guitar tech at the time, seeing that I was in a bit of a pickle, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he, I, 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 I because to be honest, even at that point, I mean, I, I stopped coming out after two hours. I you know at that point, I mean, I never used to go to shows. Yeah, it's odd. It's an, it's an odd like it. It used to bug me. It used to bug me that people used to come up when I used to go see. Friends, bands play or, ba- or some bands play. It would bug me when people would come up to me doing a show that wasn't my show to ask me for a picture or autograph or something. It was like nothing that made me feel very, very uncomfortable. It's a difficult balance in that because you have that kind of you have almost that respect for that fan that care and, you, and that they, they care enough to get a photo, but at the same time needs to be an element of understanding i think from the fans perspective that you're there enjoying your night this is I mean, this is, this isn't the right place or the right time but then again what are you going to do i mean it, the thing is for me i've always had that thing where i've avoided going up to meet people like because i would often say to myself what would it make me feel like yeah and i think the older i've got the more i've become like we were saying before like i crunch at berlin like with you and like my wife was like, oh, say hello. You've listened to them for years. And I was like, no, he's like doing this thing. It's fine. It's weird. Like you get older and you understand a bit more, but it's. I mean, it's not to say if somebody, you know, no, I mean, not at, all, but... at this, I mean, at that, I find it incredibly difficult at that point in my life to deal with that, that, thatness of the, um, the familiarity that people have with the band. I really mm-hmm. found it very difficult ways to deal with and I you often used to feel much much more relief when we used to leave and tour outside of the UK because yes. <laughs> I could maintain some of my anonymity to a degree um, just around when like Oblivion and whatnot got released because I worked in HMV at that point when that got released and I remember and this is a good 
good thing I grew up with your band from a young age and I remember seeing all sorts of different people buying that oh. album and I remember just being like hmm this is that's my band and that's really selfish of me to do it but it was kind of like it, it went a bit mad it like it, it was it, such a wide it, open world it did and I think I think there's a lot of things there that I mean, I know from my perspective that I could have... I mean, it took me a long time to realise that wedding wasn't necessarily the, the my preferred direction that I wanted us to go. Yeah, uh, I think it's musically... For the better after that, yeah. definitely. I felt more, even though I listened to funeral at the age of 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I felt more like what you were doing on the last two to three albums was more... You looked, when I'd seen you live in that era, you looked a little bit more like, this is where what I always meant to do, and I don't know if you felt that way. Come no, I, no, I, I mean, I definitely. I mean, I think you you hit the nail there. I mean, that's something. I mean, it, it, it may have seemed like an, a bit of an abrupt about turn to a lot of people. But I think what came to the forefront after, and I guess to some degree, memory and humanity is that the certain differences in the people in the band of where they saw the band or where they wanted the band to go, and I mean. That's the thing. When you get swept up in a whirlwind of, of popularity so early on, you just you kind of lose a sense of where you are, both I guess creatively and um, and I because of the I took a I would often take a back seat in I would I would be less confrontational when it came to how the band was heading musically than what I was later on. I mean, weirdly, it's I was allowed to take more of a, a more charge later on in the band's career of, of where we were going because because lyrically everything changed as well I mean it became almost like a discovery where I was like why I wanted to be in a band in the first place so I wanted this to be that outlet and I kind of became more interested in writing less coated metaphors than more direct reflection or yeah. or views on things. I felt that actually. I felt that most definitely. I think it's it might be I mean, everyone's different, but it's like that to me. It's almost like in, I mean, you know, in DC hardcore and bands like Embrace and Right to Spring and Dag Nasty um, came out of a shell in 2011, and decided to put the foot put his foot down and say, if you know, you know I want this band to. Obviously, I was, you know, proud of the, you know, records. I mean, casually dressed, I'm, I'm proud of what that I'm really proud of what that instilled people who were, you know, into that record. Um, but for me, from from conduit and stuff onward, it was just like I wanted to to dig into that side of myself more fully than I had allowed myself to at any point. And I literally really, really got back to my hardcore roots there. I mean, also in the last records were much more true to the world's discovering this whole connected social and musical kind of revolution. Um, yeah, because I think, I think you're from what I grew up on and it was the whole long back hair that's that almost like what, what became popular like I remember, like I say, seeing you towards the end of funeral, and I was at the last, the last Glasgow funeral show anyway. And I remember seeing you, even though you were playing 
like casually dressed was I remember looking back and just you looked happier in the person you you looked like you you were wearing your skin if that makes any sense. I mean, that's very kind of you to say. No, I think um, it was. Even though you no, I mean, I felt. Stuff. I mean, I felt totally. I mean, the thing is, and I think I said it quite a bit on that tour is like, I felt way more able to impart some truths about what these songs were about for me. I was more comfortable then than I were um, than I was before, you know, when they were first released. And I think always because I always felt like it was that people didn't really want to hear it. I was like, you know what? This is the, the last time I ever get to play these songs. So I want people, I want it to be less less of a just here we are playing these songs, ta-da. Use a little, you know, almost like director's commentary. <laughs> And, it, and it, yeah, it was it was weird as well though because I I went with someone who had never seen a funeral from but one of my wife's friends. She was like, got a spare ticket because it sold out like nowhere. And I'm at the age now where I don't go and buy tickets on the day. That's bad for me, but I don't like. Sorry, on the in advance where I buy them the day. And I'm yeah. them and being like, oh, this will be kind of sad. This is like my childhood's like albums, but it's like a band I've been with for like since they began. But, an unemotional person, but I'm not overly emotional. But I remember like seeing you playing. Even I was a bit like, "Oh, holy shit! I'm welling up here. Fuck! Like this is like I feel, I <laughs> feel like he, he, is playing the songs the way he always wanted to. If if that makes any sense, you know. And even though it was a different lineup to what I grew up with, it felt like the funeral for a friend that was always meant to be, but playing the tracks that I grew up with. So it was a very weird mix of emotions from a a fan's perspective. And he, Turning to each other, who had went with and doing the whole like downwards, like oh shit, this is the last time we'll ever hear Escape Artist. Damn, like. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it. It was weird. I mean, it was it was fascinating for um, uh, it was fascinating and emotionally draining that into it. I mean, it was um, it was just a sense of bringing two senses, two parts of myself together that have been separated by fifteen years. It was it was it was on me, and. Allowing myself to fully, and I never got the chance to do that. I mean, I often wonder what it would be like now if my mentality that I had on those last couple of records and on the last tour um, had exist and had stayed the course through the duration of, of the career. Where would we have been then? And um, I mean, for me, I mean, being able to where you are on stage for the very last shows you're ever going to play with people who yes weren't there at the start like you said you know Gav Casey um, Rich but had but shared the same drive and goal you had for your band yeah you know, and that was more an situation of um, you know a, a, a bond of, of time or anything like that or, or you know looking back and being oh I missed that I don't think I've ever missed it. I, I've always wanted the band to always have its to play to its strengths, and I, even at the very end, I always felt like that's what it did. And I mean, we had some. I think this is the thing with the people. I think people hold the first two albums in such a regard. I do. I and mean, I, I, the what people consider the original lineup made two albums that misstepped what I felt and what a lot of people think the band mm-hmm. was. So for me, that realization and you know the gent the gentle kind of pairing away of people in the band that didn't feel the same or or had different ideals or different goals like to what we had. I mean, the band, all that platform 
to get shit off your chest. Yeah. I mean, that's all music has ever been for me is is an outlet. I've never wanted fame. I've never wanted fun. I've always wanted something that I could say was mine and was pure. And with all the funeral has had, I uh, had for 15 years, whatever situation, I mean, I would really not want to trade any of that in because they were all moments that not only fed into the life that I was existing in the time, fed me and I learned a hell of a lot of actions and interactions. So, I mean, I'm going to be proud of everything that we've done. I mean, still am. I mean, I don't think about it on a daily basis. Maybe I miss it. Weirdly, I mean, I don't know if that's a weird thing to say or not, but I don't. I mean, mm. I literally went straight from uh, playing the last two shows to going straight back to work the following day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I've just, I just, I love music. I mean, I, I will always be involved in something with music, whether it's creating it or being around it. I don't know. Many things that I love that I've been able to um, to work on thanks to my confidence that I've grew- that I've gained through doing this. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's great, you know. But like like I said, I mean, we all turned to each other that last year, and we we're like, well, it all feels like you know. So, you know. Obviously, now that you've you've reached, I mean, it's about a year, give or take, like a few. Yeah, days. just. Um, well, Not quite. This would be a, uh, this would be a, a year. This would definitely be a year. <laughs> we were in we were in Europe this time last year. Oh yeah, so you were no you because yeah, I was in Berlin this time. Oh shit, yeah, my my time is terrible. I told you I could remember fifteen years ago, but yeah, yeah. five minutes ago I told you that. Um, when it comes to the future for you, you miss it, and I don't think that is weird. I think I think sometimes you can put things in a box and be proud of it. What do you see the future for you personally moving forward? I honestly, honestly, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, I could bullshit my way through some sentences to give some (laughs) idea of, but I honestly know. I mean, I... Sometimes the best way. Yeah, I mean, I can say, I mean, right now, I'm focused on in Germany with my wife, getting accustomed to this, this whole new way. No, it's not even a new way of being, it's this new kind of landscape that I'm existing in. And, I mean, I'm, I dabble in music on my own time when I want to, when I feel like I want to. Because I'm a man, I'm a kind of guy who just kind of leaves things and comes back to them for, for periods of time. I mean, I don't know whether it's because of the, the way Funeral worked, where we had to put out an album every year and a half or whatever. Um, right now, I mean, I, people are asking me, like, you know, are you, bringing out another, are you going to do another secret show album? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm dabbling with electronic stuff at the moment because I find that fascinating. And would I do anything with that? Maybe, maybe not. I think you should because I've seen some of the vinyls you post and you're like, yeah, so I'm kind of like, yeah. Oh, man, I've always loved, I mean, one of my favorite things, uh, like I've told, I'm a big, as you probably know if you follow my socials, I'm a big yeah, movie fan, big oh, film nerd. Yeah. I've loved, um, I love these soundtracks. I've always been fascinated by movie soundtracks and um, horror stuff specifically. So mm. I just started just on the up like last year, just you know, just digging around. Started kind of 
doing some similar kind of stuff with some with a friend of mine and um seeing how that develops just taking it as it comes not pushing ourselves to the point where it's going to be like we've got to we've got to get this up we're going, we need to release we need to promote this we need to p- play some shows more just as an experiment man just as a kind of a way to explore that a different side of music that i've never really involved myself in creatively yeah. i've always i've always appreciated it as a fan but you know it's it's fun and i I'm, I'm enjoying how fun it is learning new things learning you know to dick around on a synth uh, all, all these all these cool like things that is <laughs> you know, like dicking around yeah. on a synth and that's basically what i do i mean if, if i ever release any of them it will be like this is me dicking oh, no. around on a synth. <laughs> uh no more no less um but I mean, I'm not tied to the idea that I have to be this person that makes stuff that has to do, you know, there has to be a vocalist in a band that has to do it musically. I mean, I'm equally happy taking care of ten cats bits. Um, I work for my wife's company. Now I have a job working doing so stuff for her company. Ah, okay. So that 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 is. Um, that is great. That is keeps me in the loop with what's going on currently with music. What company uh, is that? Avocado. It is, yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm just getting to grips with that. I've only been I've been doing it for about a week, a bit now, and uh, enjoy it. I'm, uh, it's nice getting to um, to update people on the the ins and outs of uh, what certain bands are doing, what's coming up, and You're the like. Code Orange fan, right? I do like Code Orange. I mean, I haven't really listen to much of their recent stuff and weirdly i haven't really listened to much heavy stuff mm-hmm. in, about year, in about a year um the latest stuff that i literally today i heard the latest north lane track uh, band, it's got that and i was right i've been i have not really listened to much heavy stuff in about a year and i really i found myself really digging that track yeah uh, i quite like north lane. I, i'm not someone who tends to go back to one of my famous things that I say all the time is if I see a band, I go, oh, it's just what Funeral did 15 years ago. And I know that's terribly snobby, but that's sometimes how I feel. But there's a lot of bands that I've cut, I've seen, I'm just like, eh. And North Lane were a band I've seen, and I was like, no, I think there's something different about them. I do like North yeah. Lane, good band. It's, it's, it's kind of gentle, because I'm, 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 a, I'm a guy who likes his music in general. I like, I like jazz, classical. Um, I, I like, well, currently, my major thing on playlist is Tom Waits. Um, I love listening to Tom Waits. My wife's uh, favorite artist, so I have well, no choice. <laughs> your, wife, your wife has class, man. Your wife has class. Oh, she does. Um, More than uh, me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to things like a lot of electronic stuff at the moment. Like, um, there's uh, this thing that I picked up was the latest Pie Corner audio EP on Death Waltz Records. Digitally, not on vinyl yet, because it's not out, but I, I got that um, digitally, and that's fantastic. I'm a bit Pie Corner audio. And um, yeah, and I just like listening to soundtracks. So you know, that's what I kind of some work in. And the odd time I listen to, you know, certain things. And um, I got a list of a couple of couple of albums on my list that I need to check out. That I have friends of mine who've put out new records recently that I haven't got around to checking out yet. So that's gonna keep me busy. I think. Yeah, it's always good to have. Like I know you're a big fun fan, and it was to think. Uh... I, I can relate with that massively. I actually have a film club up in Glasgow. If you ever decide to come to Glasgow, once 
Once a Wednesday, you're more than welcome, by the way. But, appreciate well, it. It's, it's, we, we play good movies. We've had Drive, It Follows, so I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll dig it if you if you've got a loose night and you've got the, the time to come to Glasgow. If I'm if if I'm ever in Glasgow, if it if it uh, decides to separate from the Union and become part of the European Union, they'll have free movement still. If we have our fingers crossed, it does. Um, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> nice one, man. Um, before I let you go, there's something I always ask um, guests all the time. If there's people that don't know who you are, what band you did, or not anything about you at all, what would be the two songs you would choose for them to listen to? Wow. Um, it's a tough question. Yeah, it is. Um, I would probably choose... Um, oh, dear me, dear me. Uh, off this... This is going to be. This is going to sound very bizarre. Um, two songs for them would probably be um, hospitality and well, the double H hospitality in history. Mm, interesting. Weirdly, weirdly, I know not many people do, but it's um, not hospitality. Yeah, I mean, hospitality. Very deeply, deeply personal song about struggle. With problems, yeah, um, illness and your own mortality, even. So um, I, I, I've, I think I've, be, I've be, become more appreciative of that song thanks to the last tour because we avoided playing that song live mm-hmm. uh, for many minutes until the last tour. Um, well, actually, not till the last tour. We did the hours two beforehand, but this was like where it kind of felt really good to throw it out to a wider audience. And um, yeah, those two songs for sure. Good choices, good choices. But well, I think I think we've covered as much as I could in the time. But I do want to thank you for coming on. It's obviously good for me because I'm not I'm not a hero. I don't do that. But very of to what you've done creatively from my personal aspect because um, I grew up with your music so it's good to have a chat about it and I'm sure I won't be the only one so I really appreciate you coming on I hope you had fun though as well I did man I had. A, I mean I'm not usually I don't really take on to a lot of these uh, podcasts very often but um, I bugged you it, enough it's fine no I mean it's not, <laughs> it's, it, it is nobody very few people ask to be honest with you so it's oh, nice to have asked and um, I'm glad we could make it work up in the end so I do apologise again for my skittishness I kind of understood you're kind of in the middle of moving to Germany like it's fine <laughs> like it's honestly fine, man. Don't worry about it. 